Greetings. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Greetings from outer space. <laughs> you are listening to Horror Nerds in Space. Or no, <laughs> Horror Nerds at Church. But we could kind of call our, this mini season Horror Nerds in Space. Space but, Nerds in Church. Yeah, church. yeah. We are a ridiculously queer podcast where we take a deep dive into a horror film and talk about how it connects to queerness, religion, and theology. My name is Pace, and I am... Oh, I didn't even think of this ahead of time. I should have. I am the face hugger stage of the alien because I just want to get close to somebody. Hug their face. (laughs) In a consensual way, unlike the face huggers. That's adorable. And I'm Pastor Emily, and I am Jones E., Enjoying my entire space sleep pod just to my feline self. Right. Mm-hmm. Also, we have Patreon at the end. Do we need it in both places? It feels weird to have it in both places. Follow us on Patreon at patreon.com slash horror nerds at church. It's, it starts at only $5 to sign up and you get exclusive access to hours of bonus content, including YouTube episodes about TV shows, movie commentaries, bonus episodes, and more. Plus, a merch discount. And check out our show notes for any content warnings for this episode. Yay! Woot woot! So, uh, how have you been? Have you been reading anything fun? All of those things? I have been wonderful. Um, We are recording this only days after the last episode that we released. So I have not been listening, watching any new stuff. I'm still in the middle of the Lucky Stars-ish romance, queer romance audiobook. And still in the middle of... Star Wars, from a certain point of view, Return of the Jedi. But I also have some good books. Oh, I am reading I am reading Survival Takes a Wild Imagination, which is a collection of poetry. Ooh. So I'm enjoying that. I'm doing it more like the devotional style, where it's like one poem a day kind of thing, so it can have space, space to digest. <laughs> I, yeah. I love it. What about you? We didn't hear what you've been reading and things. Oh, I'm also watching Hawkeye. I just started it. Uh, yes, the Marvel show. Because really You've not seen Echo. it before? No, but uh. I really liked Echo. And Echo comes kind of out of Hawkeye and Daredevil universes. And so cool. I'm, cool. I'm going backwards. Yeah. Uh, I love Jeremy Renner as an actor, the guy who plays Hawkeye, but... I'm trying to remember. I feel like he was in the news for not being a good person recently. What? So I don't oh, remember. No. I don't remember what that was about, but uh, 
Yeah, I haven't been watching much beyond podcast stuff because we're like ramping up for the season. But what I have been trying to do is watch through the entirety of Doctor Who this year. This is like, I don't really do New Year's resolutions or anything that are like trying to better myself because I'm I'm amazing as it is. I don't need to do that. Um, But... (laughs) But um, just kidding. But uh, I do like to like have something fun that I try to do in the year. So oftentimes it is like I want to read like 20 books this year or something like that. Uh, This year I was like, I haven't seen all of Doctor Who in a while. The latest specials with Shudi Gatwa are amazing. And the David Tennant one as well as coming back as the 14th Doctor. So, like, I I was like, I really kind of am loving Doctor Who and want to give it a rewatch. So I am watching a story of Doctor Who a day. There are like 306 stories in Doctor Who. Um, so trying to do it in a year. So it's been pretty fun. I'm like halfway through the first Doctor's tenure and just starting David Tennant's tenure at the 10th Doctor's in my watch through. Watching nice. a classic and then a modern every other day. I want to do that too. I might have to do that. That feels doable to do one a day. Yeah. The only problem is the older stories were a little bit longer. So it's like watching a movie a day as mm. opposed to an episode a day. But that's fair. I know somebody with a great list. Yep, yep. I can put it in. Um, I can link it in our show notes. Oh yeah. If people are interested and want to get into Doctor Who, I was also think so. Audience, you can let me know, like comment or shoot us an email, horrornerds at church at gmail dot com. But I was thinking, in an ideal world where I had all the time in the world, I would love to do like a Doctor Who podcast or something like that. But right? I don't have that time. But I was thinking, we like, could do maybe I do at church and then also have like occasional spin offs of Horton Hears a Who. <laughs> adorable, adorable. You and your elephants, of course. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I was thinking, like, I could do a TikTok or a YouTube or something, kind of recapping each doctor's run or something like that it might be fun. So, if, and that seems a lot more doable than like mm-hmm. an ongoing podcast or something. So if that sounds interesting to you, audience, let me know. I know somebody who is very good at TikTok who happens to be on this podcast. Ah, 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 ah. We could totally TikTok it from Diagonia. That'd be awesome. Y'all, if you want more people to follow on TikTok, you can definitely follow me at Rev underscore Ewing. And you can follow our kind of collective that we're working with. A lot of what we post is like podcasty excerpts and stuff from Nerds at Church and Horror Nerds at Church. But we also do like answers to three-year-olds questions and things. So um, that one is Diaconia Faith. So we will link to that as well. Yes. I'm having a dog misbehaving issue right now. But he's getting the idea. He has laid down. Uh, yeah anyway so yeah watching doctor who how i've been not great my our car died earlier this week transmission blew 
And so now we are spending the weekend car shopping, and that's something I don't want to be doing because I hate car shopping. Indeed. Car shopping, when I had car shopping, it was also like under duress. It is not a thing I recommend for anybody. Like, ever. Yep. Well, I guess we can get into the movie we're covering then. We are watching Alien. Came out in 1979. Directed by Ridley Scott. Mm -hmm. Arguably his best movie. Interesting. What else has he done? Let me pull up his Wikipedia. I know he has done, he's done a few sequels to Alien, which we'll talk about later on in the mm -hmm. season. Um, he did Prometheus and Alien Covenant, but he also directed Gladiator. Um, it's mm -hmm. probably his other biggest one. Blade Runner, another space one, which is really fun. And maybe we'll do in a future space themed season. There's just too many good space ones. We can't fit it into it's one true. season. All of our uh, seasons are going to be multiples anyway. Yes. It's fine. Um, so he's directed a lot of stuff like that. Uh, the new Napoleon film that just hit theaters. Uh, he directed that as well. Hmm. So. But uh, 1979 was the year that Star Trek... So, one of the reasons we are pairing Alien and Star Wars, and you'll probably hear us talk about this a few times throughout the season, is they kind of inspired each other or were reactions to each other. And so, this Alien film, the first one, is very much a reaction to Star Wars. And to prove that, listen to this list of movies that came out this year. This is two <laughs> years after Star Wars The New Hope came out. Uh, we had Star Trek The Motion Picture, Disney's A Black Hole, Star Odyssey, James Bond Moonraker, which is where he spends his time up on the moon in space. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's like everybody's like scrambling to make a space movie. But then this year, we also got Rocky II, Apocalypse Now, The Muppet Movie, shout out to Nerds at Church, <laughs> Caligula, yeah, yeah. Uh, Caligula, one of the movies that I don't think we'll ever cover in the podcast is so problematic, but it's like a weird guilty favorite of mine. Um, it sounds like coagulated, so then I just think of blood, blood. <laughs> Caligula, named after the... Uh, Emperor of Rome. Oh. And then, and Helen Mirren is in it. That's one one reason Ooh. to watch it. It's a, she has a fantastic performance, but the rest of the movie, um, it was it was just a little bit about Caligula. Sorry for the tangent. No, I'm not. Apolo I apology rejected. <laughs> yeah. Rescind that. Try again. Let's go. Yes, rescinding that apology. But anyway, so Caligula, for those of you who don't know, was directed by two different directors hmm. um, and was two different productions that were joined together purposefully. There is a very dramatic retelling of Emperor of Rome Caligula's story and his uh, Caligula's nickname is the Mad King uh, uh, or the Mad Emperor of Rome. So just so you know, like, how he's remembered in history and all the problematic stuff of that mm -hmm. title anyway. But um, so there's like a dramatic telling of his story with 
uh, oh, what is his name? He was in Halloween, the Rob Zombie remake. He was in Star Trek, uh, A Clockwork Orange. I can't think of his name, but that actor and Helen Mirren together, uh, like famous actors. And then the other director was directing a pornographic film complete with orgies and stuff. And then they mashed the two together. And it is like the weirdest film ever. Like unsimulated sex, full frontal nudity, all that stuff through interspersed throughout this like dramatic retelling of Caligula's story. It is so bizarre. <laughs> so yeah, that came out. <laughs> um, and then this is also one year before Star Wars Empire Strikes Back, which comes out in 1980. Interesting. And then in the horror world, we haven't covered any of these yet on the podcast, but we you probably will. I'd like to cover all of these at some point. But we have Phantasm, Mad Max, Beyond the Poseidon Adventure, The Brood, The Amityville Horror, and Werner Herzog's remake of Nosferatu. And then also the television adaptation of Stephen King's uh, vampire novel, Salem's Lot, which we talk about the book in our vampire literature retrospective. I thought so. Um, is it Malcolm McDowell? Yes, thank you. Malcolm McDowell. He plays Caligula, Emperor Caligula. You're welcome. Also, the actor from Hawkeye was in a like near fatal accident with his own snowplow. He was oh. helping his nephew do something and the snowplow started to roll and he tried to get back in and he got crushed under it. Yeah, I remember He's hearing that too. Now and doing the therapies and things. That's good. Yeah. So that's, you know, a time warp time hop thing um that's a lot and i don't think i actually know like hardly any of those movies (laughs) you know the muppet movie at least (laughs) i mean yeah and Um, empire strikes back but i don't know that james bond one and i know a lot of james bond ones yeah for some reason i thought you were a james bond person because i remember you saying you and your dad used to watch those yeah whenever the marathons were on tv We'd end up watching a bunch of them, but I don't know that one. Anyway, so pace above or under the age of, was it nine or 12 that we decided? I think it's 12. How old were you for Alien? I'm really trying to remember. I honestly don't know. I seen, I've seen this movie so many times. Mm-hmm. I feel like I probably saw it in middle school or high school. So maybe around 12 before or after, I don't know. Um, but yeah, it was a while ago and I've, and like I said, I've seen it many times since. So mm-hmm. what about you? This was my first time watching it. Um, we have a guest who will be with us for a different alien movie, um, who, when I was talking to him about it, had not realized that this was my first time <laughs> that I hadn't ever watched any of the aliens and thought that I like knew them. And I was like, no, I've never seen them. So, um, yeah, I'm I really enjoyed it. So, it'll be it'll be a fun movie to talk about. Mm, somebody's in trouble. So, that's interesting though. Not surprising that this is the first time you've seen it, but uh, I do want I am curious though, like how much of the movie had you like heard of or seen pop culture None. moments before or is it really really? Okay, I mean, okay. Like, when the alien like bursts out of the stomach, like I've seen that completely out of context and had no idea it was related to the movie Alien, right? Like okay. that's the thing. 
I didn't know any of it in context. Okay. All. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Which I think contributes to one of the scores that we'll find later on towards the end of the episode. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I also want to say that, well, I guess this is a good segue into background behind the scenes. So the tagline for this movie in space, no one can hear you scream, which is scientifically accurate. And I love it. They had some good scientific accuracies in here. For sure. For sure. I really, also, I, I they, thought that was more of the thing for like gravity or something. I didn't know that tagline was for alien. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, this movie came out in 1979, which, um, if you go back and listen to our Nightmare on Elm Street or our Halloween franchise, or even our F- Friday the 13th, any of those franchises, you hear us talk about the eras of slasher films. Mm-hmm. Um, so the golden era of slasher films started the Texas Chainsaw Massacre in 1974 and kind of went until about 1979. This is right in that golden age of slasher films. And so mm. as much as it is like a Star Wars response and like a sci-fi movie, it also really is a slasher horror film. And we can talk about that a little bit in our deep dive, I think, mm-hmm. if um, we want to get into that at all. But like, I, I just love that this movie is like a slasher movie in space. So... um Dan O'Bannon, who wrote the, and directed the movie Dark Star, it was a horror comedy, wanted to try again at making another space movie, but he, Dark Star had no budget, so he made a comedy, but he wanted to make something that was realistic. And so he thought the best way to do that would be to bring in horror elements. It was rewritten several times, but there was no movement until... 1977 Star Wars <laughs> comes out and suddenly everybody wants to fast track a movie about space. So all the studios are going through their piles of scripts and stuff to find something that they can quick make. They um and so Dan O'Bannon was contacted, his script was purchased and this movie is put into production. Um and in O'Bannon's original script, Ripley was a dude, but when Ridley Scott came on uh, he was impressed with Sigourney Reaver's audition and decided that he wanted to make Ripley into the main character. Well, Ripley was already the main character, but make Ripley a woman. And then he and Sigourney Weaver worked together to um, to cr- basically create the character. And surprisingly, or unsurprisingly, not many alterations were needed to the script because women can be action heroes. It's just they are typically shoved into romantic side character roles or something, yeah. which you and can I hear us it, talk about yeah. in our Star Wars episode, too, about Leia. Yeah, and I think particularly for this, like, it works better as a woman yeah, because of the ways that she is undermined and ignored when she is right and has the crew's best interest and protocol and safety and all of that in mind in yep. like being held in for sure for sure um and then also we have hr geiger's work which was first an inspiration ridley scott saw some art of H.R. Geiger and was like, this is cool. I think the alien should be modeled after this. So contacted Geiger and Geiger was brought on. He had an intentionally phallic design of the alien. And then also 
a friend of the podcast, Susanna, pointed out that the eggs had an intentional vulva design, um, which was modified to also make a cross, which he kind of did as a FU to the Catholic Church <laughs> when he was told that they would try to censor the movie because it looked too um, too much like a vulva. So mm. um, his answer was to turn into a cross. Uh, <laughs> I mean, not the worst thing you could do. Right, right. Um, he was known for techno-human work that is often very sexual and often phallic. Uh, he, while he was partnered to women throughout his life, he was very sexually adventurous and definitely, in modern terminology, we would call him queer. Uh, and kind of some gender non-conforming stuff in there, too. So we'll probably get into a little bit of that in the deep dive because I want to talk about this movie and body horror related to uh, the trans experience of several trans horror authors. I should try to get them on the podcast. They're all pretty awesome. But this movie for several people has impacted their trans journey. So we'll talk about that in the deep dive. Um, what else? The special effects were limited. Um, they had a small budget and in spite of it being a star Wars kind of craze to, capitalize on that studios still like this movie was supposed to come out on a very fast schedule to try to come out as quickly as possible to cash in on star wars so there wasn't like a huge budget there wasn't a lot of time budget yeah um and most of that budget ended up getting spent on some of the set pieces like the dead alien in the giant command chair and that giant atrium room and stuff what took up a huge amount of the budget to just mm-hmm. build that set um so that ended up making the time that the alien could be on screen very limited because the more the alien on, is on screen the more special effects and technical work you have to do mm. so the alien was taken out of them exactly exactly so ridley scott as soon as he started to realize that intentionally thought that it would be make the film scarier because you Mm -hmm. can't see the alien. You only catch glimpses of it or behind, behind out of focus behind a character, stuff like that. Yeah. Like I'm glad when we finally do get a full visual, but it's late. I think we only get a full, an actual full visual when the alien is getting whatever oxygen thing that Ripley yeah. does at the end. Yeah, and then sucked out into space. All those yeah. things. Yeah, I don't think we actually see the full alien at any other point. We see parts. Yeah. But, and we see, like, the shadow. But we don't see it. Interesting. Then the last two behind-the-scenes things I have is the movie is just well-remembered for its visual design and has become a kind of icon icon of pop culture itself. It spawned an entire franchise, which we'll be watching all of this season. Um, and like many comic books, uh, book books, um, uh, video games, all sorts of stuff, uh, you, especially centered around the Xenomorph, which is the name of the alien. Uh, the name is never said in the movie, but that's just the kind of behind the scenes expanded lore is that it's called a Xenomorph. And, um, but that character has kind of taken off in popularity and come shows up in all sorts of ways. There's like Superman versus the alien comics and all sorts of stuff like that out there. So, 
Um, and then, of course, the movies from Alien versus Predator, which we'll cover as well. Also, for the record, Superman versus Alien is just Alien versus Alien. Yes. Just saying. Yeah, yeah. Um, and believe it or not, that comes up in the comic as well. And then the there is a director's cut of the film. But what is interesting is that when this, I think it came out for the 40th anniversary. No. Yes, the 40th anniversary. So 2019, I'm pretty sure is when the director's cut was released or maybe it was at the 35th anniversary. Anyway, at one of the anniversaries of the movie, the studio Gay, uh, approached Ridley Scott and was like, we, and we're like, um, we're making a director's cut version of Aliens, the sequel, at James Cameron's re- request. Do you want to make a director's cut version of this movie? And Ridley Scott said, sure. He went back, looked at all the footage and stuff and made a director's cut, but there's only like five minutes of extended footage and like, one different scene because Ridley Scott himself said that the original film is like, I don't know what I could add to it to make it better. I think it's mm-hmm. really good as it is. So, yeah. um, the, so there is a director's cut. Uh, and if you want to go out and find it on DVD or streaming, you can, but just know it's not much different. And it's not the one that we watched. For this. Correct. Um, when we get to Alien 3, we're going to watch, we're going to have an episode on the f- film version and the assembly cut because those two versions are so different. Whereas this one is like the director's cut is just worth a footnote, essentially. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, one sentence summary. How would you describe this one? Evil Bilbo goes to space. I like it. I think you're going to be able to easily guess this one when we get to our retrospective, too. I hope so. <laughs> uh, mine is Slasher in Space. <laughs> because it is. It's a Slasher in Space. I think it's even the first Slasher in Space. Mm, so. Okay. It's a little bit better. <laughs> So, where to begin with this movie? The diapers. It's <laughs> diapers, which is much more realistic space gear than, say, Star Wars, where supposedly they don't need underwear in space because sexism. Yep. Yep. <laughs> but it is actually like diapers are one of the adult diapers are one of the like easiest ways to take care of bodily waste in space mm-hmm. yep mm-hmm. was the movie easy to follow for you um, since it was your first time i always wonder that about movies i've seen so much like had i not seen it so much would i be able to follow it and have a good sense of what was happening yeah i think for the most part it was it was not super clear to me like who was in charge of what which i think is at least a little bit on purpose yeah. That we get the sense that Dallas is in charge, but then there's like, what is Ripley's role? What is the scientist's role? That sort of a thing. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, I would definitely understand it better a second time around, obviously. Um, and I would be open to watching it a second time. Like, I, it is not a show that I'm like, or a movie that I'm like, I'm never watching this again. Um, 
But yeah, I liked it. Um, I really like Ripley. Obviously, there's like she's the best. <laughs> she's the yeah. best character. Um, but like, yeah, it just was like a fascinating. Like, this is a crew. It's it's also funny because it was 1979, right? And so you look at the technology, and this is supposed to be super advanced technology, and there's <laughs> blue collar space like astronauts. And nobody explains how gravity works in the ship or anything. Um, and yet the technology is like very old computers. <laughs> and it's like, these are yeah. ancient. Yeah. Like, I mean, one could come up with an in-universe reason for that, being that this is the blue collars. They get the oldest shit and stuff that's put together um, on a shoestring budget out of any crew. And there is a novelization. I have not read it, but it does explain some of the stuff like how gravity works. And I think how gravity works is because it's a space mining vehicle. The materials that it mines are dense enough that it creates artificial gravity because it's held under the ship. Interesting. Which means that there's only artificial gravity one way on the return trip from the rocks. Hmm. Their whole water thing, too, is just ridiculous. Yeah, it was a giant cooling system that produced condensation, and the condensation would fall as rain and would be collected to create the ship's water. Something else you learn in the novelization. Yeah, that's, like, ridiculous. (laughs) That's not potable water. There's literally guys, like, standing under it, letting it just drip on their faces. I I do not want to drink that water. I imagine it gets filtered before it is consumed (laughs) how many times (laughs) so um yeah also i was reminded of snakes on a plane and i was like snakes on a plane cats in space we'll have to have an airplane movie uh (laughs) airplane season of airplane disaster movies and stuff like snakes on a plane all that so many options Right. We could also just like subscribe to Boeing's newsfeed. <laughs> Hashtag not wrong. <laughs> I made it funny. Is it funny or is it depressing? A little bit of both. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the answer to that is yes. Also, fun fact uh, don't put something in someone's mouth if they are seizing. The wisdom has changed since 1979. Um, and you are not supposed to do that because it might make them choke. So, like, mm. try not try to make sure they're not like gonna bite off their tongue, whatever. But like, generally, your body keeps you from just from like choking on your tongue mm-hmm. when you're not conscious. So, yeah, don't worry about it too much. Just worry about you know giving giving them a soft place to lay. Yeah. Granted, in this case, it was you know because an alien was trying to burst forth from his gut, but. Yes. Details, details. (laughs) Um, There are a lot of things I like about this movie um, and the plot, especially. One thing I really like is when they changed the character Ripley to being played by Sigourney Reaver. Mm -hmm. uh, 
Ridley Scott intentionally cast Tom Skerritt, who is a 1970s leading man, very handsome action role kind of TV shows and stuff like that. So the audience going would expect him to be the main character and expect him to save the day. And so it was intentionally meant to like raise the suspense and be a surprise that Ripley is the main character all along, which is something that Nightmare on Elm Street also does with Nancy, who is the nerdy brunette. Uh, who saves the day, not the blonde person we're introduced to, her friend, um, who's yeah. the more typical final girl. It's true, it's true. Yeah, I really like that. I didn't know that, you know, Dallas was supposed to be fancy boy, but I like I like the ways that, and I think we'll get more into this in the deep dive, but I like the ways that it flips the, like, more traditional narratives or, like, the typical narratives of the time mm-hmm. to to kind of take people by surprise to catch people off guard. Yeah. That sort of thing. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, while we're talking about Tom Scare, I love his death with the alien just coming out with jazz hands <laughs> in the <laughs> tunnel. Like, hello. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Um, I, the, the whole thing, like there are so many different ways that I'm like, you could have isolated this alien. Yep. When it got Dallas. By just shutting down all of those, everything that particular space is connected to. It's almost like someone on the crew was trying to undo the work the others were doing. I mean, true. And I called it. I called it as Bilbo. I was like. They really did. Bilbo. And then we, and then I was like, Bilbo's possessed? Evil (laughs) robots? Yep. Did not have that on my bingo card. Right? Another kind of huge twist ending, which now it's become a thing. The person's been a robot all along, but this is one of the first movies that really kind of did that twist. And you know what? Bilbo makes a great robot. A great evil robot. Like, this is definitely post-Hobbit Bilbo. Like, he's already had the ring. The ring has already been working on corrupting him. And now he just doesn't care about anybody's life. De-aging him, I guess, by like 30 years, too. I mean, that too. But still. Details, details. (laughs) I love that Ripley is the most competent from the beginning, like all along. She is the most competent. And the way the other crew reacts to her is like very true to life, how they are. And I think it's intentionally true to life of how men underestimate women. And if the Mm -hmm. woman is standing up for herself or, or following the rules or something like that, she is labeled. Uh, a b-word or stuff like that or a hard ass and they're and it definitely seems like the crew is uh, seeing ripley in that role um and so i think it also makes it hard for the typical male audience intentionally to emphasize with her character at first and that adds to that huge twist when at the end you're rooting for her um but it was her sense and competence that saved the day. Had they listened to her the first time, none of this would have happened. And that's a very clear message of this film, I think. Yep. And that's like, I mean, it's not even just like whether or not to let them in, but the like, oh, this isn't just like a message. This is a warning from the other crew or whatever. And then the guy's like, well, don't bother relaying the warning. It's fine. You're fine. Cool, and it's like that is a recipe for death. Like Dallas, come on! But it turns out that maybe Dallas had the message that he had to defer to 
um, evil Bilbo. Ash, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I love Jonesy, and I disagree with Emily. I think having a cat for a long-distance journey on space makes perfect sense. Uh, And (laughs) it's the way, like, many nursing facilities and care facilities will often have cats and stuff like that. Yeah, but they're not (laughs) going to space in enclosed spaces with allergic, right? Like, I'm allergic to cats. They're not going to pay for the fancy purina special allergic allergy proofing cat food and how well i guess the cat goes poop the rest of what the same as the rest of everybody because of the fake gravity but yeah and litter box i'm sure cats are a little bit more easy for a portable journey than dogs that would typically need to go outside to use the restroom and stuff and are Mm -hmm. it's harder to train a dog to use the litter box or something like that but it's possible um and then i love kind of what emily was saying earlier there's just so much true to life some of the stuff is a stretch like the gravity and all that um but like no sound in space that's a real thing because there's no atmosphere for the sound to travel through and i like the way that that like comes out in different points um of like just silence or just like background yeah well we ready again to our deep dive Yes, I am. Yay. Deeply diving, diving deeply. Deeply diving, diving deeply. You're welcome. So one of the things, and this becomes more and more clear throughout the series, but it really also seems to be the case here from the beginning that the corporation they work for, which we'll find out in the next movie, is called the Wutani Corporation, but that that corporation is a capitalist, corrupt corporation and part of the military industrial complex. And yeah. so um, it is something that even Ripley muses on in this movie. She's like, why would they be willing to risk all of our lives and kill us for this alien, risk all of the expensive mining stuff for this alien? It must be because they want to use it for the military division of the company. And she says that in the film. And so we find out in the minor spoilers, but we find out in the next movie that that is indeed what the company is trying to do. Um, And so the company only cares about profit. And I think that it's, and so it's like this version of space is, is is not the Star Trek version where we have space communism. Yay. And everybody's happy. (laughs) This is like very much a capitalist version of space. I mean, Star Wars is not space communism either. Correct. <laughs> it's its own empire communism, colonial communism, or colonial spaceism. Mm-hmm. Something. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, I particularly thought it was interesting that, like, the two, like, blue collar of the, like, theoretically they're all blue collar workers, but there's, like, two that are more blue collar, which of course includes the black man. Um, and there's just this, like, they're realizing that, like, they don't make, like, they, I think, knew going in that they were making less money, like, half what everybody else is making. But then there's, like, this constant, it's, like, constant dialogue from them and with them of, like, we want more money. We want more money. Mm-hmm. And there's a part of me that's, like, yeah, that's shitty. Like, 
You mm-hmm. are risking your life just as much as everybody else. And also, they treat Ripley like shit. And, like, it, it's definitely portrayed as, like, you're not supposed to, like, feel for them that they're making less money than everybody else and that they're whining about it. But also, they're making less money than everybody else, and that's not fair. I don't know. Yeah. Lots of conflicting things. Because misogyny mm-hmm. comes into, right, like, the sexism and misogyny of, like, how they treat Ripley, even though Ripley is, like, in charge of things and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, the fact that they are truly essential. They are the engineers. Without them, the ship would not fly when it had that incident on the planet. And mm-hmm. yet they're treated as if they are less than everybody else as yeah. well. Yeah, and they don't even get to, like, finish the work that they're do- <clears throat> They don't even get to finish the work that they're doing to repair the ship. Before mm-hmm. Dallas is like, we're just taking off. And Ripley's like, we're not ready yet. And had they listened, maybe it would have gone differently. Maybe they would have, like, been able to get rid of the alien sooner or whatever. But, yeah. like, nope. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, also, the just a, like, ooh, there's eggs. What do we do? We <laughs> get closer. Oh, look, organic life. Like, let's just dive in. And I, again... Ripley is like, safety protocol, quarantine, right. and the men are just like, screw you, and mm-hmm. then we find out that it's, that, like, Bilbo, who is evil, is the one who lets him in, and, like, that whole thing, but, like, yep. everybody is pushing back on Ripley. It's not just evil Bilbo, but evil mm-hmm. Bilbo is the one who, like, presses the button. Yep. Yeah. And, like, it is literally, as we keep saying had they just listened to her, this would not have happened. So, like, mm-hmm. literally, even though the it's kind of trying to make you, or the characters, at least, are treating her like she's making the wrong decision. Like, the film is saying she made the right decision. Everybody mm-hmm. else just was not listening. Yeah. Um. She is the only competent one. Yep. And, of course, the Sigourney Reaver. She's such a hero. One of my favorite mm-hmm. final girls in all of horror final woman in fact mm-hmm. yeah also she comes back for the cat mm-hmm. and that i think is the real reason why she's the final woman because right like the the justification for final woman is the one who like in a lot of the horror is the like one who's the most not prudent but like sinless right if we're using the like friday the 13th kind of dynamics of like it's not having sex it's not doing any of the scandalous things um so like the most wholesome yes but also keep in mind this is before friday the 13th created that mode i'm not saying that this doesn't that this does not contribute to it but it is also predating that yeah but that but that trope of like how do we come up with who is the final is about like who is the most wholesome in a lot of ways or maybe it wasn't before this i don't know what the horror movies were before this one don't compare it. but like that she goes back for the cat is i mm-hmm. think important in ways that are like hard to put a particular name to yeah but also, I mean, in one some ways, it's just a way of humanizing the character because I would be the person that would go back for my pet too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would absolutely go back for Gandalf or Yoshi. Yeah. 
Also, the alien does not care for the cat. <laughs> like, <laughs> Correct. multiple times has the opportunity to destroy it and does not. So, yeah. maybe we all just need to be a little furrier. Yeah, yeah. Or work on our hisses. <laughs> right. Also, when the, the first person who dies, the way that they deal with that is, I don't know, probably most of our culture's, like, dominant preferred narrative of how we deal with grief. Like, silence, nobody says anything, they just, like he's wrapped in a shroud or whatever and mm-hmm. then launched out of the hatch and yep. they never talked about it. like they never deal with grief they never acknowledge the grief it's just like this awkward silent yep. or him kind of thing yep. yeah mm-hmm. and then of course the crux of the question the crux of our deep theological discussion <laughs> why is horror always about penises and vulvas why <laughs> and I have a simple answer. Uh, in part, just, yes, it's definitely an oversimplification of all of horrors about penises and vulvas. And also, there is a lot that is, and I think there's a reason for that, because Lee Murray was talking about in our episode with her on Remains to be Told, uh, when we asked all the authors to define horror, one of the things that kept coming up was horror deals with the taboo, the things that society tr- puts in the margins and may and say it's unsightly we should not talk about and horror is one of the only places where we are able to bring that and examine that and talk about it and so sex and sex organs are things that we are not allowed to talk about in polite society so it is something that horror is one of the few places we can talk about it and so that's why it seems to be a theme that comes back again and again in many horror films uh, for better and also oftentimes for worse as mm-hmm. we see in so much horror mm-hmm. yeah and that's i think like the vulvas at the beginning the the like eggs in the shape of vulvas slash the cross and i was thinking about that and then also about the exorcist yes which came up came in out before else. this 1976 yeah. so yeah but it came up in something else recently and like that the ways that that fear of like fear of bodies and fear in particular like around vulvas and menstruation and like reproduction um is just so horrific right and that's when like a predominantly cis male gaze is like a really harmful thing and that's not like that's that's part of why we need more diversity in who's yes. making, doing, writing horror movies because they can't, like to just have them all be like the vulva is horrific, reproduction mm-hmm. is horrific, menstruation is horrific. Um, just really... reinforces misogyny and patriarchy and sexism. I think this will come up a little bit in our witch season for better and for worse. But also, I think we need to add to the docket sooner than later a mini season or probably more realistically a full season of horror that is directed by people other than cis men. Mm-hmm. I think because be there's so much good horror out there. Way. We yeah. just tend not to cover it. We The way our podcast has been working is we've been doing 
we've been doing seasons and then themes mm-hmm. and the and the the big seasons are um franchises franchises and the reality of hollywood being a sexist mm-hmm. industry is that women often do not get the franchise directing roles and yeah. there's a v- very rare exception like in F- nightmare on elm street is one of the few franchises where there's a rachel talalay directs the sixth century but by and large they don't so we well, have and not even that, roughly... it's not it's not all of it right like it's still mostly yeah, exactly not... so it so because of that i think we have underrepresented our women directors and when we have covered ones like Candyman from 2021 mm-hmm. we've loved the film Nia DaCosta yeah. was fantastic well and even like I think I am just finding that by and large I prefer and I found this like forever ago in young adult dystopias right like I don't know cis white men just can't write good young adult dystopias I don't know what's wrong <laughs> with them but they just can't they are incapable of doing that but like all of the ones that I do love are written for the most part by women yeah um and so I just think like there is there is just this thing of like I think it is too easy for cis white men to to not challenge or question assumptions Mm-hmm. And sometimes for cis white women too. And like we get this in like Harry Potter with all of the assumptions that are made about the characters and like that Cho Chang can be passive mm-hmm. and have as her name two last names. Like there's just so much that just goes unquestioned because the author or the director or whoever has never had mm-hmm. to question it yeah. versus when it's done by a woman a person of color a disabled person or queer person there's automatically that person has had to question in their life has had to push back has had to challenge assumptions and so their horror is naturally more set up to continue challenging and pushing and pushing and questioning Mm -hmm. this gets a little bit of that because of geiger but not as much and because... Sigourney Weaver too. I mean, yeah, she had yeah, an yeah. instrumental For role over sure. her character. And credit to Ridley Scott is that he was receptive to both of their input in his directing, which mm-hmm. is not something that he continued in some of the later movies in his career. <laughs> which might be one of the reasons why this one is so good compared to some mm-hmm. of the later ones. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, one thing I want to talk about: we've talked about body horror before on this podcast especially our nightmare on elm street series you can go back and listen to that that was season four but um as a trans person speaking for myself body horror has been a way that i've been able to engage with issues around body and gender and identity in a way that i have found it difficult to even find engagement with that in my so much other areas of literature and film and i'm not alone in this there so as many there are many trans people who hate body horror i think emily is one of them who's not a big fan but there are those of us who really love it and both are fine what you can fall into either camp not saying one's better than the other but for those who are who love love it or connect with it 
Um, I have a f- some examples I'll link into the show notes, but Nadine Smith, Cressa Maeve, and she writes specifically about Alien and H.R. Geiger as part of her trans journey. Alexi uh, Bowen, Jude Ellison, S. Doyle's essay, and it comes from the closet. So all those are linked in the show notes. But uh, they say it much better than I can, um, kind of what this fascination is around body horror and around this movie in particular for some of them. Yeah. And I think, like, for the most part, you're right. I am not a huge fan of body horror. And I think that came out even in Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. And the second one, I remember we talked about that. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. Where I was like, okay, that is the thing that's, like, not on my, like, this kind of horror is my jam thing. Um, And what I think was interesting, and you pointed this out because you, Susanna, and I were all, like, talking about it. Yeah, we had a great conversation about it in text. Um, and and I like that the it it's kind of like with Dallas as the like starting out leading character, right? It starts out, and the horror thing is this egg that looks like a vulva, and like we think that there that that trope is just going to continue, and and then it flips and everything after that from the eruption out of the body to like the million penises that make up the alien's body on purpose um all of that like just so flips that script of Mm -hmm. vulvas are horrific to penises are horrific um and the thing the thing that gets a little bit caught up right is that there is a there is a way that when we start with a trope or something that is harmful, like not everybody keeps going. Mm-hmm. Right. There are people who get stopped who like get stopped yeah. there. Either because that's the trope they want to reinforce their own beliefs, or because that trope has been used really harmfully against them people they Mm -hmm. care about that sort of thing and so like that's the part that gets sticky in this yeah and it requires following through and seeing the alien and also we don't see the alien for a lot of this like it the drawings of the alien yeah you can see all the penises everywhere (laughs) but in the movie because the budget's so small because they can't use the alien that much you don't like you get a couple things where you're like that seems kind of phallic but you don't get the full picture literally of the alien um and so i don't know maybe in future future movies you'll get to see a little bit more and so it'll be more explicit but i think that's part of what like i'm really excited for the fact that this is a franchise because that we're going to keep this conversation going every movie pretty much because it, the alien's design changes every movie slightly and all that stuff, just because it's different productions and all that. So you have different creative people doing it, but also some of the directors are not as good as others. And the movie we, uh, on issues of gender and things like that. And Mm -hmm. so the next movie is directed by James Cameron. I think that one's a little self-explanatory. <laughs> so when we watch that, be prepared Wait, for this conversation. With, like to some explanation of why the Bible is so very important to our faith. No, not that. Okay, he did a <laughs> bunch of those, right? Like, sure. I think so. I think he did. 
James right. Cameron is the person who directed the Titanic. He directed Abyss. He directed Terminator and Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Maybe I'm thinking of the wrong person. He directed oh, Aliens. He did Avatar. He directed cool. Avatar, yeah. He's directing all the Avatar movies coming out. Well, that's one reason not to be particularly thrilled with him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Maybe I'm mean, thinking about a different Cameron. There's another Cameron who was like on oh yeah yeah kirk cameron kirk cameron okay never mind okay take that back we can just feel free to delete that part (laughs) (laughs) my not knowing the difference between one says that white guy and another yes um so that explains a lot more that makes a lot more sense okay but yeah we're going to get some interesting involvements to the alien throughout the rest and especially when the alien interacts with predator because uh, they have very different designs as aliens and stuff. And yeah, so. I mean, it's been like six months since I saw Predators, and I'm like, hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't remember. But yeah. yeah, I'm excited for, I'm excited for the crossovers. I think those yeah. will be good. I have heard that Aliens as a fr- as a standalone franchise kind of peaks at the first one so yeah and uh, it'll be interesting to be we'll fair see. a lot of people love the second one too so okay. the second one i think is more problematic but as mm-hmm. a movie it is a very enjoyable fun movie whereas this one is more horror that one's a little bit more action so it's mm-hmm. a little bit fun and so i think that's why a lot of people enjoy that one a lot but we'll have to see what you think because you'll be watching it for the first time mm-hmm. yep, so yep. And then for our alien retrospective, I figure we can start tracking our alien lore a little bit as we go and what each movie, because sure. this franchise gets really convoluted in its lore around alien and xenomorphs and where they come from and stuff. So, okay. um, so xenomorphs, again, that name's not said in the movie that comes from the expanded. I, was gonna say, lore I don't know where that comes from, but okay. Yep. There we go. Uh, but they have three distinct life phases that we see in this movie. Um, they have an egg stage, they have their face hugger stage, and then they have their penis stage where they pop out of the chest and then grow really fast into. Yeah, that takes like two minutes, right? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Um, Interesting. But it. Wait, so the, the face hugger happened. Wait, the guy who got face hugged. Mm-hmm. Was he on their crew? Yes. Oh, I missed that a little bit. And yeah. I think I thought that they like randomly came across as like, okay. Nope. Apparently I did not totally follow this movie. <laughs> yep. Okay. Yeah, it was that guy he was, was played the guy by... that found the egg. Yes. And then they Yep. And then... Played by John Hurt, who, for Doctor Who fans like myself, would recognize him as the, the war, war doctor, doctor from Doctor Who. I have not seen the War Doctor, so. Oh, I thought okay. you saw all of Eleven's run, so I guess you didn't see the end of it. Oh, maybe I did. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> we okay. they we also get the infamous and has been parodied much time chestburster scene. A little bit of mm. trivia about that scene. Mm. Um is the reaction of the actors was in part genuine because they had the script did not detail what would happen in that scene. Mm. And 
the special effects for the first time the actors were there and the special effects went off they were genuinely shocked at what was happening and <laughs> blood spraying everywhere and stuff like that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um also the fact that xenomorphs have acid blood yeah uh, and that's like powerful acid like yeah multiple levels of a very of like ships are built spaceships in particular are literally built to like keep you alive in space mm-hmm. so the idea that it would burn through multiple multiple levels yep <laughs> yeah and then the other thing this movie introduces which will become a reoccurring theme mm-hmm. are that androids can pass for humans unless they get like really stressed and then they start to sweat milk yes or uh, vampire venom in the as we learn in the Twilight series. <laughs> I was gonna say, you mean Edward's special special vampire venom? Yep. <laughs> Which I mean, there's acid in that, so yeah, true, true. Full circle, full circle. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. you all didn't know we were gonna bring up Twilight in this episode, did you? <laughs> Honestly, if you don't expect this kind of chaos from us, why are you even here? It's true. It's true. I mean, you don't have to expect it, but yeah, you should probably expect it by now. <laughs> right. Um. Yeah. So, I guess out of ten, are we going to use Kyra Crystals or should we use something for Alien for these? Oh, no. I don't know. Mm. I do not want to use Aliens or Penises or Vulvas. Could do Joneses. All oh, cats. Um, that's a possibility. Although space pods. Space pods. I don't think there's anything good to use for this one. Yeah, I guess we'll just stick with Kyber crystals. Yeah, it's a mostly Star Warsy season. Yeah. So, but if somebody sends us some alternative that is very yeah. alien universe. Yeah, cool. feel free to send us suggestions. But like Emily said, we're not going to use vulvas, penises, or xenomorphs. Yeah. Um, so out of 10 kyber crystals, since that's what we're rating it for now, what would you rate this? And do you have a favorite kill? I need you to read it first. Fair. I will rate this then a nine and a half kyber crystals out of 10. I think this is a near perfect horror movie. Wow. It is scary. It is amazing. It is visually stunning. It, it There's complicated pieces, of course, but just the character Ripley being so amazing. Yeah, nine and a half out of ten Kyber Crystals. Um, and then my favorite kill would be Ash, because that is a twist that the first time people watch this, I don't think anybody expects that to be coming, that he's an android and all that stuff. And He's also the biggest asshole in many ways, so I kind of enjoy his mm-hmm. death, too. That's real. That's real. Um, I think I am going to rate it... Oh, it's so hard, because Ripley is so good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm going to rate it 8.5 Kyber Crystals. Okay, okay. Yeah, final answer. Um, because Ripley is so good. And I... And I like that the ultimate horror part is penises. Because those are horrific. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's a lot of horror, like, legit horror that people feel. Um, 
a variety of genders about mm-hmm. penises and the ways that they cause harm and the people yep. attached to them. Um, and to people attached. Uh, it's a whole bunch. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite kill is Brett because he's an asshole. Um, yep. Yeah. He's, he's, he's the asshole. And <laughs> at one point Ripley's like, don't worry, you'll get what you deserve, which we all know yep. immediately means they're going to die. Mm-hmm. Um, and in particular, Brett, I'm just like, no, like you let the cat get away. You, you're slacking. You're and, slacking and you're giving crap and you're a misogynist. Brett. Yeah. And I do love Yafet Kodo's character as Parker. Like out of the two, he's clearly the better one. And Yafet Kodo um, was also in another connection to our uh, what am I trying to say? Another connection to Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, since he was uh, played the dream therapist in part six. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I just love any time he's in a movie. He was. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he was not nearly as like frustratingly annoying. Did you have any jump scares for this thing? I did. <laughs> I had two jump scares, and there were a couple where like. I was a little bit distracted or I think I would have had more, but I definitely had two jump scares and they were jump scares. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Yeah. They were, that was just, it was a jump scare movie. So for a little while I was like, maybe we've been like slowly introducing me into it enough that I'm like predicting all of the jump scares. Like one of the things that one of the times I predicted a jump scare. Mm-hmm. And so then I didn't jump. Um, yeah. But the other the other times those two times i i did jump um but so i was like maybe i'm maybe we did it too slow so slowly and so gently that like now i'm not gonna be scared and then i had two jump scares (laughs) so i was like oh just kidding never mind we're good since we are only an hour and 15 minutes in and since i forgot to talk about the deep dive like i said i would uh can we quick detour to why this movie is a slasher oh yeah Cool. Yeah. Isn't the, Slasher where everybody gets like violently killed? Pretty much, yes. So Slasher movies as a trope have a cast of characters um that slowly get killed one by one by a killer, uh typically a masked or hidden killer uh, throughout the movie. And it's a scary movie. It's t- they typically have lots of jump scares, stuff like that. So, um, that ticks all the boxes. Yeah. And the slasher movies typically have a final girl. We, as we've watched the movies, we see, we've of course come across exceptions to that rule. But this one, true to form, has a final, final woman, as we're calling it. Even though the term final girl was invented by a woman, uh, who wrote the awesome book, uh, Chainsaws. What is it called? chainsaws masks and women's experience or something like that i'll link it in the show notes but um final woman because ripley is clearly a woman not a girl and but just so 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 this movie hits all those big ticks off all those big boxes for the for the um slasher trope but what's weird is every now and again the discourse on things like x and or slash twitter and stuff will come around and people will say that this movie is not a horror movie 
Um, and it starts a big debate by between people saying it is and other people saying it's not. And of course, we on Horror Nerds at Church have an expansive definition. But even yeah, if you have a narrow definition, I find this one hard to see how you would not consider it yeah. a horror movie. Is it that they think that space overrides yes. horror? Yes. I feel like many people think that it can only be one. It needs to be one genre primarily it can't be more than one primarily and that it is primarily a space movie a sci-fi movie or an action movie a space action movie rude rude yep so i guess we can share our next movies then would you want to each time we do this share the star wars and i'll share the alien sure okay um, coming up next is Star Wars Episode 5, Empire Strikes Back, with Reverend Beth Wartick, which I'm super excited about because she is awesome. Me too. I have yet to meet her, but I've heard a lot about her, and I think I'm a social media friend with her. I don't remember. Anyway. Oh, wait. She's on, she was a guest on Nerds at Church in our second season, I believe. Awesome. Mm-hmm. And then in two weeks from today we're going to cover the sequel to this movie aliens directed by james cameron indeed so see you then dear listeners because that's it for our show our theme music was by matt may horror nerds at church releases seasonally on thursdays please comment rate and subscribe to us on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you get your podcasts support us on patreon and get access to exclusive movie commentary episodes YouTube episodes, and more bonus content by going to patreon.com slash horrornerdsatchurch. It starts at only $5 to sign up, which is way cheaper than a space mining trip. Follow us on social media, Facebook and Instagram at horrornerdsatchurch, and Blue Sky and Twitter at H-N-A-C-P-O-D for all the latest updates about upcoming films, news, and other announcements. Until next time! Always go back for the cat. Yay!